When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Nick Hausman back in the saddle for another episode of the Winkley, and I'm joined here as I am just about every Wednesday by my good friend Justin Labar. Justin, welcome back to the Winkley. Good to be back with yes. you. Thank you, Justin. Yes, and it's good to be back with all of you out there as well. Thank you so much for tuning in, giving the Winkley a, a listen. We got a big show planned for you here today. Lots of news to talk to uh, talk to you about, discuss, pundit. But after the news here, we got two big interviews for you. First of all, tonight is the night NXT is going to be making the leap to USA. Uh, immediately, by the way, after uh, NXT's debut on USA, Triple H is going to be doing another media call. Man, two two in like four days, Justin. Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, he ended Monday's call with uh, saying that he's hoping to do as many, if not more, uh, you know, you know, more talking with, with media. So that, that's great. Well, great. Wonderful. He's always welcome to, to, to hit me up as well. I'd love to sit down and have some time with Triple H here on the show. But we will have the full audio from that media call here on tomorrow's episode of The Winkley. So it's happening late tonight. We'll have some highlights up on the site tonight, uh, early in the morning. But the full audio, the full thing you're going to be able to hear tomorrow on The Winkley. But tonight, since NXT is debuting on USA for the first time, we got the, the Wednesday wrestling war heating up here between AEW and NXT. I thought, who better to talk about this historic moment in pro wrestling history than my good friend, legendary pro wrestling journalist, Bill Apter. So Bill's going to be here today talking all about what's to, what's to come here with AEW NXT. Uh, his, and can I and can I and can I give the plug too, Nick? That the, after NXT tonight, make sure you go onto the Wrestling Inc. YouTube channel as we'll be doing the live post NXT podcast. Myself, Matt Morgan, and Glenn Rubenstein. Well, there you go. They'll be doing that. I'll be sitting on a, a media call. Uh, so my workday ends uh, roughly ten thirty Central Time tonight. So uh, and then I'll be up tomorrow doing it all over again. Uh, but yeah, so tune into that. Be sure to tune back in tomorrow for the full uh, audio from the media call here on the Winkley. And then, of course, stick around here on our show after Bill After's interview. After the news, we're going to have one more interview. It's the last interview that I have had sitting on the shelf from when I was backstage at Ring of Honor Summer Supercard in Toronto about a month ago. It's Joe Dombrowski. Joe's going to be here talking about working for ROH, what he would uh, like to do here in 20, uh, 2020 or 2019. What is it? Your, what year is it? 2019? 2020? Jesus. Um, he'll be talking about his, his goals and his aspirations for uh, for pro wrestling. Dabrowski, you love Dabrowski. I've known Joe for a long time. I uh, my my 
first year in independent wrestling, uh, every show I was pretty much driving him uh, and driving with him. Oh. Uh, yeah, I've known Joe for a long time. He's, 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 he's accomplished a lot. He's gotten to travel the world and, and, and do, what he, do what he loves. Yeah, he just dropped a, a new uh, two-hour interview DVD. It's like a, he, he doesn't do anything small. Joe did like this two-hour interview with DJZ 48 hours before he moved to Florida to, to join WWE. It's a long interview with DJZ. It's also a, a bunch of matches from his career on the independent scene and elsewhere. So uh, go check that out. Go support Joe Dombrowski. So Bill Apter, Joe Dombrowski. But right now we got Justin Labar. It's time for news you can use. News that'll leave a bruise. We'll start it off here with the story that melted down the site yesterday and became quite the buzzy subject over on social media. And that is the Wrestling Observer's report that Vince McMahon wanted to quote-unquote bury Cedric Alexander with his quick kickoff show loss to AJ Styles at Clash of Champions. Of course, Cedric uh, was pinned again by AJ on Raw, taking that second rope uh, Styles Clash. Justin, what do you think of a report like this? I don't buy it. You don't buy it? What do you I not don't, buy it? And that's not, and that's not to, you know, and people have to understand when I say that, um, that doesn't mean I think that the source of, of this report, in this case, the Wrestling Observer, that doesn't, that I don't think they're that they're purposely making something up that they're throwing darts against the wall at index cards and just making things you know it's throw one dart and it says uh, vince another dart says barry and then another dart it landed on cedric i don't think that's how that happened i do think they reported it because they however they've come about this information they believe that the source of that information is, is is to be believed i just don't all in all i don't i don't believe that you don't you don't you don't spend consistent television time in a situation like this if you want to bury somebody if you want to bury somebody you just don't use them you know you, right. you, you, that's a situation of you know a luke harper goes public and says he wants out and then they say no and then they have him at home and, and not do anything and wasting his talent for many months hopefully like it now is getting rectified but you know like the only time i really think being buried on purpose truly buried and in, in spending tv time is if somebody maybe is on their way out and you're trying to devalue them on the way out you can make arguments that maybe certain things with dean ambrose was a little odd as they went out but then they ended up kind of making a big deal about them and doing shield reunions and shield specials so you know even that didn't really happen so i i, I just don't think in, in the time and age of where they're at right now with business i i just don't see this this, this doesn't make sense to me yeah, I, I agree. I thought something uh, was up here with this report. Uh, my spider senses went off. Uh, so I'm going to do something I haven't done here in a little while. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on here and uh, give you what I think may be happening here. I could be completely wrong. Again, this could be totally on the level. Vince McMahon hates Cedric Alexander and feels the best way to uh, punish this man for whatever, stealing his uh, delicious taco or steak from his office, whatever it may be. Um the, the quickest way to get fans to rally around somebody, uh, it seems like, at least on social media, is for them to find out that Vince McMahon does not like them and would like them buried. It, it worked for Daniel Bryan. It's worked for, for many others here uh, in the past few years. Now, uh, if you were actively trying to get Cedric Alexander noticed, pushed by the fans, some grassroots momentum, a story like this paired with the visual of Cedric losing very quickly – uh, I don't know. I, I just I don't want to know if you were, say work in the sheets. So you're so you're you're suggesting WWE might have purposely leaked something like this. I'm saying maybe somebody inside. Maybe not. I don't think Vince directly, but maybe somebody inside. No, of course not. Yeah. Maybe somebody inside said, you know what, this would be a good idea if people were to think that Cedric is being buried right now. Maybe there would be a rubber band snapback reaction to that. You know, I do believe the report that. Paul Heyman is a fan of Cedric Alexander, and Paul <laughs> Heyman is behind pushing Cedric Alexander. Right. I wonder if Paul Heyman would 
have the foresight enough to get this information put out there to uh, fulfill your theory of, you know, if the internet knows that he's, he's got an uphill climb because Vince, he's not Vince's favorite. Lisa, that's what they think. Right. That could help. things Right. Yeah. And then you just say, okay, well, we'll beat him twice here on TV to AJ Styles, you know, do some screwy stuff. You know, it seemed again, it's like, that's why I say I got to put my tinfoil hat on here because in order for what I'm thinking to be true, a lot of different pieces would have to be moving around. But if you were trying to get Cedric over organically and get the fans on his side, a story like this, I don't think hurts Cedric in that regard. Somebody call the governor, Jesse Ventura. I smell a conspiracy, McMahon. Well, we got more Vince McMahon McMahon news here for the past two days. Uh, ProWrestlingSheet.com reporting that Vince was not at Raw. The show was run by Paul Heyman. Uh, Triple H and Kevin Dunn were not at the show. Uh, Triple H was in Orlando prepping for tonight's NXT debut on USA. No word on where Vince and Dunn were, but uh, there's a lot of XFL stuff going on right now, I would imagine. It might be tied to that. Uh, WWE's vice president of global TV production, Michael Mansbury, filled in for Dunn at Raw. And on that note, PWInsider.com reporting Vince was also not at SmackDown. Uh, Vince did go through the plans for uh, last night's SmackDown several times during the day during production meetings via telephone, but he was not backstage at the arena. SmackDown uh, was reportedly uh, being ran by executive director Eric Bischoff, along with veteran writer Ed Kosky, Bruce Pritchard, and WWE Hall of Famer, Michael P.S. Hayes. And, of course, tonight, this will be the third night in a row of WWE TV um, uh, on USA. Triple H will be at the man at the helm here, not Vince McMahon. So very interesting here. These stories starting to pile up about Vince's presence uh, being elsewhere here during these shows where he's been known for decades to to be so hands-on. Very interesting. Just interesting time, if nothing else. It is, but it shouldn't be a surprise when you factor in, as you said, uh, we're coming around to where the XFL is, uh, you know, what less than six months at this point away from from launching, and there, you know, there's a lot of things that are starting to pick up with it as it has to in terms of rosters and and such of that, um, as well as Vince himself saying, you know, that, that or at least that's how he justified, uh, you know, to the public on the, on, the, on that call of uh, you know the reason of hiring uh, Bischoff and Heyman and, and giving and naming them to the positions that they are for the respective brands is so he doesn't have to be quote in the weeds as much so. Um, yeah, this is, you know, this is, this is not a surprise with factoring all those things in and it's probably a good thing. And I don't mean it's a good thing, you know, because Vince is still involved. I'm not saying he shouldn't be involved, but it's a good thing because, you know, you need to, you know, set up and see, okay, what does tomorrow look like? What does next year look like? What does five years look like of being able to delegate out and have different people, you know, ranging from Bischoff, Heyman, Triple H, um, Michael, uh, uh, Mansbury, you, you need to, you need to, you need to know that okay, these people, you know, these people can fill fill the roles they need to fill and 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 keep the show going. The show's going to go on anyways. I will say I really liked at least the first hour, uh, half hour of SmackDown last night. We'll get to to some of the stuff that happened. Actually, we get to it here right now. I just thought the first half hour of SmackDown flowed really well. We got the big payoff to Kofi, the New Day versus Randy Orton, and the and the revival. You know, they finally got that big team win over that entity with uh, one of the revival getting pinned. So Orton didn't even he got spared the the pinfall there, keeping him fresh are hopefully a little bit fresh for whatever is going to be uh, after Kofi Kingston because Brock Lesnar's back, and he returned to challenge Kofi uh, to a WWE title match. Uh, Paul Heyman made the announcement. It's for 10-4 SmackDown on Fox, uh, the debut episode on Fox. And, uh, yeah, Brock went to work uh, tossing around Kofi Kingston here. I just thought for a 30-minute period of television, uh, the the fight you got between these two teams, the payoff to the feud they've been having, uh, saving Randy Orton by not pinning him, bringing back Brock, setting up your program for Fox. I just thought the first half hour of SmackDown was maybe my favorite half hour of WWE programming this week. 
Uh, yeah, it was a really strong half hour. I agree with everything you said. Uh, it definitely it, it, gave, it gave you a little bit of everything. It gave you it gave you a, a top feud, or it gave, well, you know, it, it gave you the combined top feud of, of Kofi and, and Randy, as well as the rival in New Day, and you know that all that you know both those trios work so great together. Uh, so you got a great action, and then yeah, you got a, you got a great surprise and Brock's music hitting and, and seeing him unadvertised. Uh, and then yeah, they made an announcement for for Brock's first match on SmackDown uh, in in 15 years. I think the stat that I read is last time it was like 04 against like Hardcore Holly. So defeated, this is pretty big. Defeated Hardcore Holly. Let's make a note here that Hardcore Holly did not get one over on the Beast. Noted. Noted. Uh, yeah, but you know, this. I thought this came across really well. Brock's always a big deal. Kofi's positioned really well. I think his title run has been uh, impeccable. I think they've really done right by this guy. Um do, is this is this a given that Brock takes his title here? You think? Oh, uh, you hate to say givens, but this is a, <laughs> it's pretty damn close. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we obviously and not just us, but you know, but we've we've certainly talked about this, speculated this for months that uh, as we as we all are waiting for this first week of October for many reasons that that Brock would be on SmackDown uh, on Fox because of uh, because of his sports background and you know Fox used to have the MMA crowd and 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 you know, so they're gonna know Brock from that and. Just the whole legitimacy thing, you know. We and as Kofi kept this title, we said, you know, what, you know, what a, what a way to do this. I would be a lot of heat. Kofi is an is, is an over babyface. He was the underdog babyface, kind of like the Cedric Alexander situation that wasn't supposed to be in this situation. He he became champion. He's had a good run, um, you know. So that's a lot of easy heat for 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 Brock for Mister Part Timer to show up and 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 beat him in a match that could be less than you know ten minutes. Um, I will say though, so I mean, I, I think it's pretty close. If I had to, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm giving Brock about a 90% chance it's going to be him. Um, I will say though, as, 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 a, as, a, as a nitpick, I really wish they just would have let Brock hold on to that money to make briefcase, let him disappear for a few months to so you forgot about it, and then him show up and just call his shot out and say, I'm coming for you, you know, on October 4th. I'm telling you right now, you got two weeks and you're still not going to be able to stop me. I, I would rather that than him doing what he did with the briefcase, dropping it. You know, winning and then dropping it back to Seth. It just, I, it, looking back now in hindsight, I don't understand why the hell they did that. I think that in, in retrospect, I think that the reason they did it was they knew they could put the title on Brock anyway, and I think they really wanted to get Seth back on track. I, if you if you remember back to when that happened, where Seth, uh, yeah, you're probably right, because yeah. he he was doing the whole thing with Becky, and people were just rejecting it, combined with the the stuff on Twitter that you know got mixed reactions at best. Uh, I think that they just said we need to do something big and strong to get Seth back on track here, and I think that's why we saw what they did with Brock. Um, and uh, yeah, got him, ba- got him back on track for what you can only assume he's going to be knocked off track. The Fiend's going to beat him, and that's the whole. I know, I know you, you guys probably talked about that yesterday, but that's yeah, that's just you know Seth Seth's timeline is certainly questionable here. What's going on? Yeah, well, you know, I I I think you knew the Fiend was going to be special, big. I don't know that anybody could have predicted it resonated the way that it has. Um, but yeah, I mean, in that in that time and again, you know, this was just a couple months ago, you know, Seth was really, and, th- and it's not just the fact that, you know, I, I it's not the fact that he's going to lose to the Fiend or anything that, that makes this wonky or anything like that. I just think they're lacking for big baby faces right now, right? Like meaningful print money baby faces at the moment, and you see Seth start to to drift away, and it's like, no, we need this guy. We can't rely on one or two guys. We got to have a couple guys warmed up here. So with the title, without the title, Seth Rollins is still a top baby face and can point to a victory over here over Brock Lesnar within just the past few months, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely enjoy Seth way more as a heel than a baby face. I'll say that. If I was sitting in the creative room, that would be, I guess where I would think that everything fell, but what do I know? 
Um, so the rest of the show, though, on SmackDown was a real mixed bag for me. Uh, I was very confused by the Kevin Owens files, a $25 million wrongful termination lawsuit against Shane. So is he facing Shane in a match at Hell in a Cell, where if he wins, he gets to come back to SmackDown. If he loses, Shane's fired. Did I get that? Is that is that what's happening here? You assume they never really spelled it out. Uh, I was still of the belief, as we talked about last week, and maybe it still happens, that, that Kevin Owens at least has a stint in NXT and helps launch NXT's live uh, era of live on USA. Um, there were so many things with, you know, with the Kevin Owens thing. First off, nothing can kill the vibe you're trying to set, the story you're trying to tell. Nothing can kill rogue fired wrestlers coming into the crowd and is sitting in the lower bowl with the, with the ticket that he's purchased than when having the WWE security right there in the camera shot escorting him. Uh, that's number one. Yeah, and number two, the whole, I mean, it just doesn't make you, you know, you're, this is a guy who, you know, fight on fight and, and, and we're talking about lawsuits. I mean, you know how many lawsuits Stone Cold Steve Austin could have put on Vince McMahon back in the day? Uh, probably uh, 50. You know how many he did? Zero. You know what he did instead? He stunned Vince. He drove a beer truck on Vince. He pointed a gun at Vince. Like, this is just, I mean, this is where we're at. We talk about we don't have any really over baby faces. We're just talking about Seth Rollins. Yeah, because we're, we're resorting to litigation. Sue Owen Sue. That'd be a good shirt, right? Um, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I just – I thought the exact same thing, Justin, where I was like, they're trying to give this guy the Steve Austin treatment because they almost fired him at SummerSlam, right? Him and Shane were in a, in a you're, you're, you're fired if you lose type match just a couple months ago. Was, wasn't that right? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. So at the time, I remember thinking, that's fine. Fire him. This guy can come back, raise hell, do the whole Steve Austin thing. He's doing the stunner thing here. I really thought that's where they were going with this, and, and we get this. And, Justin, I sort of got it. I saw the same thing. I was like, how how often did Stone Cold Steve Austin file a lawsuit against the McMahons? It just it doesn't make you cool. Um, so I was real – real. I, uh, the, only other thing I could, the only thing I could think here when I was watching this is that maybe the tea leaves for everybody are lining up so squarely that Kevin Owens is heading to NXT – they everybody's buzzing about that, and this is a red herring to throw him off and make him think that maybe he is staying with SmackDown, and this was like a last minute decision because it really felt just yeah thrown together to me. Well, I couldn't find I couldn't find the the literary word, but yeah, red herring is. I, I last night when talking to Glenn and Matt on the post SmackDown show, I had said something similar, like you know maybe this is just to swerve everybody because it was becoming too too common of a conversation on the internet about him going to NXT, you know, and you know even that that, that that topic even came up with Triple H on the Monday's Monday's call, so. Um, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe, and that this was just like the a cheap fill five or ten minute segment to to throw people off. Um, because remind you, but yesterday PW Insiders reporting Kevin Owens wasn't even backstage and at SmackDown, and obviously he apparently was. So, uh, so maybe this was a last minute, scra- you know, scramble. Who knows? <laughs> I didn't want to write it all out because PW Insider was all over the place yesterday. But yeah, they said that Owens wasn't there, that he was there. They were like, Vince is there. And he's not there, so I, somebody in the back is not. Somebody in the back is just saying stuff because there's a lot of weird stuff coming out in the news past couple of days. A lot of retractions. Um, we also saw on SmackDown uh, Offset appeared. Uh, he introduced Charlotte to the ring. Queen Flair, as he called her. I think he literally forgot the word Charlotte. I'm not really sure. It did look like he blanked for a second. Um, and then, yeah, the continuation of the the Bludgeon Brothers were uniting to to take on Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns. How do you feel about? what the bludger brothers are doing here bb 2.0 uh very physical very um you know i mean like that that whole ending kind of had you know kind of had me remind me a little bit when then when the nexus first came and you know, destroyed everything i mean it was very physical it was good um you know obviously you're putting them in a story with 
with Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan, but Daniel Bryan apparently be, you know, going back to being a babyface. I mean, that's you can't you really can't find two bigger regular full time stars to 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 be paired with uh, to be paired against rather. Um, if you're if you're trying to get Rowan and Harper, you know, well, you know, back on track and and and, and propelled to new heights, so I'm for it. Uh, I was critical of Eric Rowan's pre-tape interview with Michael Cole as I went into depth last night uh, on this post-smackdown, but post-smackdown podcast. I won't go into the full depth again, but I'll just say, you know, he said he he answered three of the questions in, in the four-minute interview with "You see, you see, you see," which is like an obvious, like uncomfortable transition when you're speaking, and it's a pre-tape. How did nobody go back and? have them reshoot but that's that's a whole other thing but overall i'm fine with this yes bludgeon brothers 2.0 let's get it how times have changed in wwe you tried to murder this man <laughs> like a decade ago that would have been so taboo would have never... yeah where's where's roman reigns 25 million dollar lawsuit to that no kidding good good question <laughs> justin where is that lawsuit you know but the thing about eric rowan is I'm still I'm still a little weird because like people like Harper. I think they're happy to have it back. I don't think people know what to make of these two. And then when it's done, I guess you're going to spin off and Daniel Bryan or pretty soon we're going to have Daniel Bryan, and Roman Reigns taking on these two. And then after that, do Daniel Bryan and, and Roman Reigns go their separate ways? I'm just I, I don't know. I, it, it, it's not like I hear the fans like booing or cheering. I think everybody's just kind of taking it in at the moment and, and seeing where things go, if that makes sense. Right. No, I agree. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. So very interesting because I almost felt like the beginning of SmackDown could have ended it, and the ending of SmackDown could have started it. So anyway, uh, com reporting the upside down graphics on Raw were done on purpose as a way to play to the Firefly Funhouse theme of the show. A lot of people thinking there was something wrong in the technical booth. No, this was to build the fiend Bray Wyatt's feud with WWE Universal Champion Seth Rollins. It's so funny to me because I was watching this with uh, my girlfriend Liz. And I was like, oh, everybody's talking about how this graphic is upside down. I was, like, cooking at the time. We were watching it. I didn't really catch it. I had to rewind it and go back. And she goes, oh, well, yeah, Bray Bray took over the show. I go, oh, well, there you go. She figured it out immediately. Took every, I, I didn't – I'm not going to take credit for figuring it out that so quickly. My, my girlfriend, a casual wrestling fan, she put it together that fast. Well, when I was watching, I actually thought it was a mistake because and, – and, and if it wasn't – first off, it was on purpose. The announcers actually played it great because they they, they straight were, were you know plugging the matches they needed to plug while the graphics were upside down. And then it took Renee after like however many seconds to go – like it, that sounded like it was like in a genuine like sh- like they're upside down. And then, and then they got off pace. They got off their timing of, of plugging and then they just kind of abruptly cut to the – uh, to the backstage, I think I think it was Strowman walking. So they played it off like it was uh, truly an accident, and then and then then you you, know, you find out that Vince isn't there and Kevin Dunn's not there. You know, maybe just you know you know the second 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 you know death chart backups. Maybe just somebody messed up technical wise. Um, and then you see the ending, the very very ending with the Firefly Funhouse you know video, and that's how they go off the air, and it's going upside down. So like, okay, maybe this all ties in. And then part of me is going, well, you know what? They had three hours. It's not real hard to flip a frame. <laughs> And then make it seem like, oh, our mistake was actually all on purpose. So any which way, whether it was on purpose or accident, uh, the whole thing actually tied together nicely. And I, yes, you're, so your, girl, your girlfriend's right. I like the idea because there, there's definitely – and if I could give Bray down and pick his mind, and I'm sure he would never do this right now because of the sensitivity of the, of the character and everything. But if I could pick this guy's mind about what's going on right now, I would have to think that there's some kind of virus mentality to this fiend character the binary thing stood out to me so much. It was such a weird response Bray gave to somebody. And I started thinking of this character as a virus. And watching that happen with the, the, the graphic getting flipped upside down there, it felt like a virus taking over Raw. And I, it just kind of got my brain thinking a little bit like, what does that look like? The Fiend becoming a virus for WWE and slowly things start to change and morph. 
how far do you take that? Because that's kind of an, you know, I don't, I, I could get real long-winded about this, but, you know, that's kind of interesting to think about, you know, The Fiend taking over this this WWE universe and slowly morphing it into this kind of parallel universe. A lot of really weird ways you could go with that. That's pretty deep. I'm just saying, we got a little piece here. Let's think big. They keep saying, you guys have no idea what to expect where they're going with this Bray Wyatt thing. That was just a little tease there. Got my thinking. Um, WWE has confirmed the 2019 Starcade special for Sunday, December 1st from the Infinite Energy Center in Duluth, Georgia. It's going to be a one-hour special on the WWE Network. A lot of big names are advertised for this. And uh, going back to the last Triple H media call we did where we talked about NXT moving to US- USA, the importance of the uh, NXT UK brand to the network now. And Triple H saying you're going to see more of these takeover events. You're going to see more specials to satiate that need for our WWE Network subscribers to see more live wrestling. Well, here you go. Another special announcement. I'm going to bet in 2020 we see a lot more of these one-hour specials pop up on the network, especially with NXT moving to USA. Wouldn't it be interesting if, if more of those specials that pop up are uh, utilizing since, you know, since they know, since I think they've learned, you know, they know that their fans love nostalgia and love throwbacks and, and flashbacks. And, um, you know, and, and since they own the property of it, uh, it would be great if some of these other specials also carried like, you know, like a bash at the beach uh, or Halloween Havoc or something, you know, some of those famous um, themed uh, around the, the calendar year shows that WCW did that people have always thought that would be fun to have, you know, I mean, obviously WWE did great American bash for a little bit, but that's pretty much the extent. Um, so I don't know. That'd be, that'd, be, that'd be just an idea. Again, if you're trying to get these, trying to get their subscribers, I think that's something that would, that would satisfy the subscribers. Dig into your ECW archive, do November to remember, you know, there's all kinds of ways you could go with this. So uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, WWE, last WWE note here, they're going to release, uh, WWE has released the dates and locations for the SmackDown moving truck. Now, I didn't see it in your backyard, uh, Pittsburgh, Justin. I don't think that the SmackDown moving truck is coming to you, unfortunately, but it is coming to me. And I went and I checked the dates and locations, and not only was Chicago listed, this truck is going to be in Chicago tomorrow and Friday. And so uh, it's going to be parked outside the Cubs game, which is at 615 Central tomorrow night. So I'm going to go down there around 5 o'clock tomorrow. I live a couple blocks from Wrigley, and I'm going to go see my generation's Lex Express. I'm going to go experience the SmackDown moving truck firsthand, Justin. I'm weirdly excited about this. Uh, well, yeah, you're right. This generation's Lex, Lex Express. That's cool. You live not too far from 1060 West Addison, home of Elwood Blues. Yeah. No, dude. I Man, I got some ties with this city now. But, yeah, dude, I, can't, I, I used to live in Wrigley. I used to live like a block from Wrigley, actually, like in the heart of Wrigleyville, like the what is, you know, arguably the douchiest part of Chicago. Sorry, Wrigleyville. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was uh, it was really uh, difficult to fall asleep night after night to the sound of like broken glass and bros yelling at each other. And then I'd hear their girlfriends yell like, get in the cab, get in the cab. It was like every night laying in bed, you know, with the the, cut, the sheets pulled up. So anyway, Rick, what I'm saying, Wrigley. Great place. Wrigleyville, <laughs> wonderful part of Chicago. Oh, boy. Uh, all right. Let's move away from the WWE. Good, good, good luck walking to Wrigleyville tomorrow on Friday for that truck. Whatever. They don't know. They don't let. They, maybe they do know. They're probably people listening to this are like, Nick Houseman brutally honest here about, the, about Wrigleyville. Though it's very different now because Wrigleyville was, it was like, you know, like I said, a little douchey part of like frat bro-y part of town. But over the past three, four years, the Ricketts, the family that owns the Cubs, they've bought up literally like the two blocks around Wrigley. And now there's like entertainment complexes and hotels going in and bigger, more expensive bars. It really reminds me of like the facelift that uh, uh, Times Square got 
uh, in the in the early '90s, mid '90s by by New York. So it's a very different place now, Wrigleyville. Family friendly, Wrigleyville. You can't just go and stab a man with a broken bottle. <laughs> you get you arrested, now. bro. Don't attack the bros. <laughs> a lot of backward hats in Wrigleyville. All right, moving on. Um, AEW in their uh, AEW has uh, de- uh, revealed the bracket for their tag title tournament. First of all. I read this. It's an AEW tag title tournament bracket, and I thought it was brackets. Now, you're a sports guy. Is it bracket, a tournament bracket, or tournament brackets? It's one bracket. So it's just bracket, tournament bracket. Yeah, it's just a, it's, it, it's a bracket for, for, yeah, it's a bracket. It's weird. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know why I felt the need to ask you about that. So here's the first round matches. On one side, you're going to have Young Bucks and Private Party. The winner of that will take on Lucha Brothers versus Jurassic Express. Then on the other side, you got Best Friends versus SCU, and Dark Order has a first round bye from defeating the Best Friends at All Out. So Best Friends here, getting a second bite of the apple. Another chance to be in this tournament here. Um, I'm sure you've had a chance to look at the bracket. What's your what's your gut say here? What do you think the finals look like? Who do you think wins? Uh, I think Lucha Bros. I think I think you go with I think you go with them. You know they were they're they're just a I mean, I mean, all these teams are exciting, but these guys, you know, they're just visually just captivating. They're some of the, the, the one of the hottest acts in the world. They're one of the first acts, you know, unveiled by AEW when when the unveiling and the and the and the you know the rallies and all were going on. I mean, you know, I, I really, you know, obviously, I think you're going to see, obviously, you know, you, you know, you're we're already seeing you know, you're they're avoiding Cody and the Bucks and 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 the 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 founding executive EPs are avoiding, I think putting the inaugural titles on those guys. I think, I think it just has an odd look. I think they understand that. I think, uh, so I think, um, I, I'm going to go Lucha Bros. Yeah. And I'm a big private party fan. These guys have knocked my socks off. Uh, every time I've seen them live, big fan, but I think they do the honors here to young bucks. And we see in that, uh, yeah, that semifinals, young bucks, Lucha brothers with the Lucha brothers beating the bucks going into the finals. I just can't imagine the bucks and the bros, uh, having done as many matches they have, even on AEW shows right now, uh, wanting, not wanting to, to do that match on AEW on TNT. I can't see them not wanting to do that early on in the series. So I think we'll see that. I think Lucha Brothers, the finals, and then, yeah, I think Dark Order versus Lucha Brothers, Lucha Brothers go over. So I'm with you. I think Lucha Brothers, they take these titles, but here we go. Well, and I need to, I need to take my bracketology tips from you. I mean, you, you, you had King Corbin, you stuck to, I mean, I, I thought Corbin too, when it first went out for King of the Ring, but I started, you know, going, well, maybe the winner of Ricochet drew. And then, then, then we started looking at Andrade over here and then Elias, you know, so I, I jumped around, you stuck to Corbin, you stuck to your guns and now you have your King. Well, I did. I don't want to say I stuck to my guns. I was, I decidedly had gone to team Ricochet at one point, but when he was out, then it was all bets were off here and then off. But I mean, you know, look, before I even knew who was in the thing, before I even knew the bracket, <laughs> I was like, yeah. This feels like a chance to reheat Baron Corbin up, and they love this guy. I mean, and are you surprised by the kind of turn? I, are you? I'm feeling a turn in the pro wrestling universe where people, fans, the IWC are starting to feel bad talking poorly of Baron Corbin because I think I think people are starting to like this guy and the way he works in the ring. Nah, too many of them are still idiots. Um, they, 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 I, I, if they get converted, good for them. I've been trying to say this all along. Like just because you don't approve of it being a heel that you think is a, is is endorsed with your good quality heel antic sticker, that doesn't mean they're not a good heel. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to dislike them. I, I harp on this all the time, and he has gotten, uh, he he's gotten not that he was not that he was ever bad, but obviously for a guy who, as he acknowledges, you know, 
came into the business and he you know he learned just in the, in the NXT WWE system he didn't have the you know the independent worldwide experience whatever but you know so he had he has that uphill climb to certain fans of you know paying your dues or being a good worker or whatever the hell they say he's he he I mean that match with Chad Gable was really good and that's not just that match he puts on a lot of good matches Corbin does he's really athletic for his size so I mean I hope that people start I hope that people I hope people continue if, if if it is continuing or start whatever this terminology is I hope that they appreciate and respect that Corbin is not as a dog crap as they want to uh, make him sound on social media but i hope they also still just continue not liking him because that's the idea like like boo him that's the idea boo him he's there for you to dislike yeah amen uh all right and lastly here last bit of news before we get to the interviews here today wrestle pros km kevin matthews and pat buck have responded uh to the reported cast incident they took to twitter we'll start here with km KM uh, now kind of taking the reins uh, from Pat Buck in regards to Russell Pro as Buck is moving into a full-time producer position for WWE. We actually had KM on the show here just about two, three weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that. But KM said, uh, I'm all about second chances. The second cast is good to go. I will be the first one to happily book him on a future Wrestle Pro show. Myself and the entire Wrestle Pro family are all behind you and wish you all the health and happiness in the world, my friend. Can't wait to see the new and improved Kaz XL. Kick ass, bud. Question, question at the end, Kaz XL. I'm not really sure what the question marks are for. Then, uh, Pat Buck, he uh, tweeted out, rooting for you at the Kaz XL. Us New York Jets fans can endure anything. Godspeed. Of course, Pat Buck was also the one who allegedly uh, punched Kaz in the face before he was taken off in an ambulance and, and treated that night. So, um, there's been a very unfortunate story. Um, by everything I've heard, it does sound like Kaz is going to go away for a little bit. I think maybe he could have taken it a little bit more time here for himself away from the business before he kind of jumped back in as quickly as he did. Great look, a lot of opportunity uh, for him here. Um, and nice to see that uh, while this could have been a very messy story, it does seem here by Wednesday we found some revolu- resolution here and everybody's moving on as, as hopefully better people. Yeah, he's not a bad guy. He's a good-hearted guy and um, from, from my experiences around him. And uh, yeah, he's got a lot of, he's got a ton of potential. I've, I've said that his entire run in WWE, he's got a ton of potential with, you know, again, that size that doesn't grow in trees. He has passion for the business. Um, he, he has ability, you know, it's basically if he can stay healthy and if he can, if he, if he can stay, out of, if he can stay in the right lane and if he can stay healthy, um, there's a ton of potential. We've seen so many resurrections. We've seen so many people leave WWE and, 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 and come, you know, come, I mean, look, you know, look at Matt Hardy. I mean, Matt Hardy, one of the greatest examples, Matt, you know, was in a bad place, disappeared, reinvented himself several times on the independence as back with WWE. Um, so, you know, th- this is not the end of the line for Big Cass, at least I hope not. And, and with his career, uh, but obviously, first and foremost, you know, uh, I, hope, I hope he gets whatever help or peace of mind that he needs uh, to, to be able to see that potential through. My guest at this time is legendary pro wrestling journalist, photographer and the author of Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. It is the one, the only, the wonderful Willie Bill Apter. Bill, thank you very much. You know what? Thank you for having me on. And I realized something a few minutes before this call that I used to love to see my name in ink. And now I like to hear my name on ink. (laughs) Wrestling ink. That's pretty good. Well, I'm glad that I could uh, I could make Thank you. Feel, you. I'm Thank gl- you. I'm glad I could make you feel good. I think that's like the best you possible do. way to start an interview, right? <laughs> always, always. Yeah. Well, uh, I always like talking with you, Bill. We talk even when we're not podcasting. We just 
We just talk. We'll just call each other. We do, and we, you know, you were the first person I ever did a podcast with. Oh, oh you can. The world can thank me. You know, uh, well, uh, I hope so. Well, I hope so. I'm always happy to help you make that bridge into the world. But this isn't really like a bridge for you because, like, you're a radio guy from back in the day. So this is just a yeah, way. radio and video and a little of everything. So if you remember, I used to call them the pod waves. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a word that I do still use. I use pod waves. I like that. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you want to chat about? I mean, we talk about wrestling all the time, but, you know, the big question is, of course, what I call the WWW, the Wednesday Wrestling Wars. Right. And will there actually, will it be a war? I mean, I don't know. Well, I, that's what I wanted to talk to you about, because, like, you're a bit of a historian in the business. You've seen different pro wrestling eras and periods. Does this feel like a war to you? Do you think these, that's what it this feels is? like the onset of a war? Okay, okay. How are you feeling right now on the onset of of this war? What do you, what what do you uh, what do you think? What do you think? Of? Very excited because you know my finger is probably going to start aching because I'm probably going to be uh, channel turning on the remote, you know, back and forth and back and forth, like I used to do in uh, WCW and WWE days. But now we have uh, we have, of course, the exciting. AEW wrestlers and the exciting NXT wrestlers. And, you know, people always, for a long time when they heard that uh, AEW was uh, getting uh, onto TNT, they said, what do you think, they always say, McMahon, what do you think McMahon's going to do? And the first thing out of my mouth was he'd be crazy if he didn't put uh, NXT up in the same time spot because that's the WWE's brand that has that type of flavor that AEW has. Agreed. And and what I think is interesting about that is I feel like Vince and the WWE right now are using a lot of the tactics or some of the tactics that were used against them in the last Monday Night War, especially going head to head like this. Do you think? Do you think? There's oh, absolutely. Some, you think absolutely. there's? Some, you think there's some merit to the idea that Vince is maybe adopting? tactics that were at one time used against him to try to win this one this time around? Well, what what I think is when uh, NXT premieres at least the first week um, against AEW or at the same time spot of AEW, and this is just something that I think, he should take someone like he did last night, as we're, we're recording this last night, uh, with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and have one of his legendary stars on that first NXT show. You think that's the way to go? Because, I, I mean, like, you know, I feel like there's a thirst right now to, to, to see younger talent and make those new No, names. there is. I, I'm just saying a, an appearance by, you know, The Undertaker will make an appearance. That's all. No stick. Nothing comes out, does his thing, comes in, NXT, boom, and he's gone. Now, do you think that Vince is actually going to allow Triple H to run this independently the way that I'm sure Hunter would like to run the, comp- the, the brand? It's very. It's hard to say because um, you know I've known Vince my whole career. I knew his father, as you know, right. uh, and I think he will always latch onto something. I think if there's something that just feels out of place and wrong to him, he will want to change it. Okay. But then again, if he looks at the track record of Triple H and what he's done to make NXT the viable brand that he has done it, 
maybe there will be that uh, that that little bit of more trust to say, let's see what happens. Okay. Now, I, I'm interested to see how that dynamic plays out. You know, I'm, I'm also interested to see how the actual location plays out, because right now they're going to be doing it from Full Sail University. They're like bringing back the studio show here a little bit, doing it in this location. Yeah, yeah, I love that. You know, that as soon as I heard that they were going to be doing it uh, every week live from uh, uh, Full Sail, it was almost like the Georgia Championship Wrestling feel to me. You know, the TV the TV studio, the early WCW shows, when they were all in that uh, that Turner studio, I love that. But then again, when you look at NXT, Nick, it appears full sale. Uh, appears like it's a um, uh, it, it's a bigger arena. You think so? I, I'm wondering how they're going to look next to each other here. Do you think that that's a good idea to keep it in one spot like that, or would you rather see them take NXT on the road like they do with Raw and SmackDown? Um, I'd love to see them take it on the road, but financially, I think it might be, uh, it's a lot of money and they're getting paid a lot of money to put this, uh, on USA. But the situation here is that it's what the product looks like. And then is it, is it going to be the same fans every week in the arena? Yeah. So you have to be careful of that as well. That didn't work out real well for TNA when they ran the asylum every week, if I remember correctly, because the fans like became, they became like a little entitled, right? Like they would do their own cheers and and kind of make their own noise and become a part of the show in a way. Um, yeah, and it's also uh, you'd really have to rotate the audience because you don't want to see the same fans in the same rows every week when you see that thing because it's going to look like it was there were three shows taped at once. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. Or you, or you have to tell the owners to come back wearing different clothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is going to be interesting to see who the faithful are down there in Florida that come back week after week for this thing, because I would think that going on the road, you'd you know, get a variety there, but you know, what do I know? Um, you know wh- yeah, and then you have, then you have the, uh, uh, the parents, a lot of people, the millennials that love NXT, still live at home. And parents, well, you went last week, you know, you don't have enough money to go this week, you can't go again. <laughs> You know, or it just could become a a regular habit. You know that that's it. It's so I really didn't think they were going to do it from the same place each week. Uh, I think they could, uh, if it's in terms of budget, I think they could take it around uh, different city in Florida every week. But then again, just as I'm thinking with AEW, and I know they've got a lot of brains behind everything here and the money, but you know what? It just pays for the production people, what it costs for the production people, and just laying the cables. And I mean, it's it's so costly to do that moving show every week. And I wonder, and again, I, I know that AEW has probably thought this out, but I can't even imagine what this is going to cost them uh, just alone in the movable, uh, the movable end of this, yeah, yeah, bringing but- it from... Uh, from state to state. Yeah, the production side of it is definitely going to be interesting here because you're because AEW is like building up from scratch essentially. Here, you're starting a whole thing from from nothing. You're you know putting together your own team, and WWE's had their model running forever here. Um, you know which which you think of these two promotions on October second when they finally go head to head. Who do you think pulls the better rating on October second, NXT or AEW? Okay, now that's a question a lot of people have asked me, and there's two ways to look at this okay the first way is that the excitement of aew i think is going to draw 
great the way they're marketing this thing and that it's, you know, again, the new kids on the block. With NXT, the only negative there is that a day or two later, you can watch it on the network. Yeah. If you really want to do that. So, you know, that that's, and I, I believe the second hour uh, on the weeks that they're alone will be on the network, but not everybody has the, not everybody has the network. But then again, you have the fans that, uh, are diehard WWE fans and whatever brand or whatever they're going to put out there, that's what they're going to be loyal to. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about AEW here for a second. Uh, what do you think AEW has been doing? Well, wait, wait. Now, you just said AEW. I noticed on the promo for the first show, it ended with AEW. AEW. Did you notice that? I did, I did not. I didn't notice they were. I going. did. I played it back two or three times and it sounded like it said AEW. You think they're pulling the ECW card here? ECW. I, don't, I think the fans are. Okay. And they're picking it up because I, I've heard the chance when I was at um, uh, All In, I heard. Uh, AEW chance. Now you you made an interesting observation because we sat together at Double or Nothing. We were like we we enjoyed the show together, right? Um, yes. Now when we were watching the show, um, I remember you making a comment to me something along the lines of how this still felt like uh, a Vince's model, but with like a different coat of paint. I think is what you were saying to me at the time. Do you still feel that way? No, no, no it was a different. There was a different coating of paint. I'm oh, sorry, a different coating of paint. Do you still yes. do you still feel that way? Do you think that there's? Uh, do you think that this feels unique enough to differentiate itself from WWE, or does it just feel like a variation, kind of, kind of what you're seeing already over in WWE? Vince McMahon's company, WWE started the whole thing with the pyro and the uh, the titantron and the uh, music with the entrances. I mean, of course, it goes back in history to the Jarrett's did that. And, um, but they were the first national company to really make that look like something. So uh, AEW, I haven't seen the product, of course, but it, I'm sure there's going to be entrance music and pyro and special effects when i was growing up in the bruno days there was no there was none of that it looked you know bruno would come out to twenty one thousand fans chanting bruno um so how can you differentiate and make the product look different aesthetically i don't know how they would do that yeah and will the fan will the fan want to see that that that's a that's a that's a great question. That's what I'm wondering, you know, because ever since you said that to me, I have watched it because you know the frame, even the model of it, the pacing of the matches, the backstage segments. I mean, it does have a, a, it does feel like a model that Vince has kind of perfected. Only they're taking it their way and running with it. Um, what what, yeah. do, what do you think? What do you think about their decision not to uh, allegedly, or from what we've been hearing, not hire any creative writers? For AEW, it doesn't sound like they've got. Any... Um, I, I like that, and I'll tell you why. Okay, because. My favorite days in the business was going into the dressing rooms and hearing the wrestlers creating along with uh, with uh, Vince uh, Sr. or Jr. back then and coming up with, hey, why don't we do this? Well, why don't you talk about this on the interview? All right, so do two or three minutes on this, and then we'll do this. And they, they were creating it, and they had a lot of fun doing it. And the, the guys in the business... Um, in my opinion, always were more creative than the people that were brought in from the outside. Okay. Now, what do you think about – because you bring up how they were working with Vince. Uh, 
senior, I would guess, at the time, if it was back in Bruno uh, this day. Um, they've made the decision with AEW, it seems like, to book by committee. They don't have, like, a central booking figure. Do you think that will change over time? Do you think one person will emerge as, like, a central uh, filter for everything to go through? There will be a head of a booking committee, I, I predict. Okay. You have to you have to have someone, uh, whether it be Cody, whether it be uh, uh, Tony Khan, the guy to do that with, the guy that should be the head of that committee, in my opinion. Let's see if you had to pick one person on their roster to be that guy. Who would you pick? I know who I would pick. I mean, I would go with Dustin Rhodes, but how about no? Nope. See, I I would go with Chris Jericho. Okay. Why? Why would you go that route? Because he has. I just find him to be the and Dustin is super creative uh, and everything. But Jericho has reinvented not just himself, but uh, angles in the wrestling business, not just in this country, but in Japan as well. Um, I just think he uh, he he would be able to take an idea and fine tune it and either turn it around or leave it alone or make it better. I guess it's just kind of, does he want to do that, though? He he seems so content. No, I'm not, I'm, we're not saying does he want to do it. The <laughs> yeah. question was, that that wasn't a question. The sure. question is, you know, if they had the committee, if I had a head to it, it would be Chris Jericho. Okay. He can turn the job down. That's that's fair. I mean, right now he's got a pretty good gig. He is the first world champion. What what do you think about them putting the title on him to start, start their promotion off? Surprised a lot of people. A lot of people thought they were going to put the new guy, so to say, uh, out of the gate as champion. But I think it's a great idea because uh, you have the infectious Chris Jericho fans from WWE who want to see everything he does. They were infected by (laughs) Y2Jism. Yes. Um, They'll follow follow anything he does. It doesn't matter what company. (laughs) What did you think of the... uh... The 24 hours where the AEW world title went missing shortly after Chris Jericho had won that. Oh, point. that was great. And, you know, it, it, it's amazing because uh, I was going to do a ripoff and do the uh, championship office wrestling, the cow title, and uh. have somebody steal that, too. But uh, I couldn't <laughs> couldn't part with it. Well, unlike other eras, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, you have the two big brands here going head to head, but you also have like a. a a nice undercard, I guess is what I'll call it. You got Impact, MLW, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, how do you think that the companies like that will fare in an environment where AEW and, and NXT and WWE are about to become so buzzy in the talk of the town? Well, most wrestling fans that I talk to, uh, Impact has unfortunately fallen off their radar because they're on TV, but they're not on TV. Well, that's so, about to change. You saw, um, I'm sure you saw the news yesterday where Impact's... Uh, yes, of course, about uh, Access TV. So this may this hopefully will raise their profile greatly. Uh, MLW, I don't get on anything here in terms of uh, my cable. I can't see it. You know, I have to watch their shows online. They're terrific. But I wish I could, you know, tune in on a weekday night and sit down and watch that on TV. Um, So I think right now the concentration, remember there's a lot of fans, WWE fans, that don't know what NXT is. So I think that um, it's going to be a situation where those two, NXT and AEW, in the visibility factor, and of course Raw and SmackDown. Do you think it would be wise for Impact to consider joining in on the Wednesday Night War if they've got the ability to run head-to-head with these other two promotions? Do you think that that would be worthwhile? 
I think it would be deadly. Deadly? You think it would go badly? I think it would be deadly. I think Impact Wrestling needs to recoup their TV audience and do it on a night when there's no other wrestling going on. So fans can say, oh, it's Impact Wrestling Night. I, what I'd love to see is like a, a six-hour block like they they did in the old Georgia days where, with Pro Wrestling This Week, where they would have like a six-hour block on AEW, starting with Impact Wrestling, going to the Women of Wrestling, going to New Japan, and maybe some other companies. So it, it's that concentrated wrestling block on a Friday night or a Saturday night. And they used to do that? There used to be like five or six promotions on the same channel? Oh, on WATL in um, um, in Georgia, there used to be hours worth of wrestling. You'd have uh, WC, NWA, uh, you'd have WWF, uh, you'd have Georgia, you'd have uh, some of the Georgia. They, yeah, look it up. Yeah, there were several hours all on, and pro wrestling this week was part of that block as well. There were like three or four hours worth of wrestling huh. every week there. That's that's cool. I, I had not been able to pinpoint another time that happened here. I'm glad to know that there's some precedent. Yeah, look up wrestling on WATL in Georgia. Okay. Uh, well, one of the things back in the seventies or eighties. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was uh, you were close friends with Andy Kaufman, my hero. Uh, Kaufman. Kaufman. I'm a New Yorker. Andy Kaufman yeah. used to ride the subway <laughs> with you. Um, now, if Andy Kaufman was alive today, whose side do you think he would be on? Do you think he'd be on NXT or AEW? NXT. NXT. You think he'd be because you think he would because there's more showmanship there in NXT with Vince. Yes. Vince? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. Or if he was in AEW, he'd be doing something um, weird with Joey Ryan and those guys. <laughs> Joey's not in AEW. At least not yet. Well, he was, right. Yeah, that's true. He'd have done well on BTE, I guess. He could have been the yes. Stephen Amell. Yes. He could have been Stephen yeah, Amell. Yeah, they'd be a, a heck of a team. No, if if he was in AEW, um, I, th- I think AEW is going to be less showmanship than WWE. Uh, so, And I think Andy was always a w- WWF fan. And that's where his loyalty would have been. Okay. Uh, well, this uh, this wraps up our little talk here about AEW and NXT. Uh, I want to thank you for the time today, Bill. This was wonderful. Uh, well, that's great. And I, I do want to mention that um, September 21st, I am hosting the Legends of the Ring convention in uh, Monroe Township, New Jersey. So I hope to see everybody there. And negotiating for several other uh, uh, big convention dates uh, in the very near future. You were missed at StarCast. We all missed your songs. Oh, I wanted to be there. Yeah. I wanted to be I, 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 I couldn't go. We had a, uh, a mild family situation, and uh, I could not go. Unfortunate. Well, your singing voice has won. You've, you've won the masses, Bill. You are beloved. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> My guest at this time is one of the voices of Ring of Honor. You also probably recently heard him in AAA. It is Joe Dombrowski. Joe, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here with you on camera, on podcasts, wherever we wind up next to each other. I was about to say, we are like old friends at this point. This is not like the first time we've ever talked. We're like connected at the hip. You're like my Siamese twin. (laughs) All right. Anyway. I'm uncomfortable. I wasn't. Joe, uh, let's talk about uh, what you're doing here with Ring of Honor right now. I mean, uh, you've really had a great year. I mean, this is a big year for you. I feel like you're making big waves. You know, what's it mean to be a part of the Ring of Honor product right now? 
Uh, it means a ton. I mean, Ring of Honor continues to grow year by year, continues to branch out into new territories. Television continues to grow. The live event markets continue to grow. And um, we've seen such an influx of, of talent come in from uh, Bandito and Rouge to PCO and Brody King and so many others come in and really uh, um, make their mark on the product and really give it a, a facelift and a new identity here in 2019. And I've been a part of Ring of Honor off and on since 2010. So yeah. it's just been an, been an honor, no pun intended, to, to to watch the growth and evolution of ROH as it continues to to you know branch out more and more into the mainstream. Let's talk a little inside baseball here, if you don't mind. Like I know you're a promoter, right? You promote welterweight wrestling. That's your own promotion. I don't like the P word, but yes, we'll oh, go with it. What do you want to call it? I call myself I'm director of wrestling operations, or a booker, or run locker room. I mean, promoters, God, it's so much work and responsibility. And that's and what you are. I just want to nap. That's, but, I mean, you're all the things you just said, director of wrestling operations, that's a, like a, that's a word garble. Yes, that's like kind of all of the above, isn't it? It is. It is. It's all of those things. Well, I was going to say, you know, Ring of Honor, everybody keeps saying, what, rebuilding phase, whatever you want to say. You know, some big names left. Some other big names are coming in. From you as a booker or a director of wrestling operations, what do you want to call it, what do you see as the silver lining in situations like this where there is a, a big amount of turnover all at once within a promotion? I see it as a fresh coat of paint, you know. I mean, there were so many great things that happened here with uh, uh, some of the guys that have moved on and uh, absolutely helped Ring of Honor grow, absolutely helped expose Ring of Honor to uh, uh, further audiences, whether it be New Japan, whether it be mainstream with Hot Topic, whatever the case may be. There were more eyeballs on Ring of Honor that maybe wouldn't have been on Ring of Honor before, but uh, so many of those fans have stuck around and, and seen what we're doing with the Jay Lethals and the Kenny Kings and the Matt Tavens and the Dalton Castles. And this gives opportunity for, now that the platform has grown, now that next evolution of talent can come up and, and, and grow with it and, and show what direction they can take things in. You know, too much of a good thing, uh, um, it, it can never prosper for forever. You know, you have to have that, as I said, that fresh coat of paint, that, uh, that new wave come in and uh, uh, continue to diversify and, and have something for everybody. And I think with the influx of talent from Mexico um, and, and certainly here in the States and Canada, all over the world, um, Ring of Honor Europe, I mean, Mark Haskins is here now, that's huge. Um, Ring of Honor, its motto is the best wrestling on the planet, and it continues to live up to that motto regardless of the names you see on the card. Yeah, what do you, uh, what do you think of Alex Shelley making his return here to Ring of Honor? It kind of caught me, it caught me off guard, especially the fact he's coming back as a single star. I've been a huge uh, a fan of Alex Shelley for a long time. Alex Shelley was on the very first show I did play-by-play -play on when I was, how old was I, 17 years old what? in 2003. Very young Alex Shelley versus very young Jimmy Jacobs. And Alex Shelley um, was a mentor of sorts to a good friend of mine by the name of Johnny Gargano, who's done okay for himself. I've heard of him. Yeah, uh, one or two good matches here or there. But... Um, I've always admired and appreciated the, the, the fluid, seamless motion of Alex Shelley. He is a wrestler's wrestler. He is a mat master. He's a tactician. He makes this easy, uh, or looks easy, I should say, but it's not easy. Um, I was sad to see him take that sabbatical. Um, he, and the he and Saban as the machine guns, such an incredible tag team, uh, could hang with anybody and really helped innovate a lot that you see as the tag team style today. Yeah. And Shelley's still young. He is in no way past his prime. He's just getting into his prime. That's crazy, man. It's wild. But uh, Alex Shelley, 
if he can stay healthy, if uh, uh, he can stay focused, he may be the guy that can beat Matt Taven. He may be the guy that can lead this product uh, into the next year, into the next era, because Shelley's been the constant for so many years, from the embassy to the machine guns to now. And I think Alex Shelley's best work is still ahead of him. Yeah. Uh, well, you brought up somebody earlier I wanted to ask you about. That's PCO, right? And I know that you... You're a student of the game. You're like a historian of wrestling in a lot of ways. Do you think that's a fair title? I will take it as long as it doesn't make me sound old. No. Well, I was just saying you're a historian. You're so knowledgeable. You know, reflect a little bit on PCO, right? I mean, this guy, you know, was on top of the mountain. He main evented Madison Square Garden with Bret Hart, you know, in the 90s, right? Here he is. He's in a, in a prime position here in Ring of Honor in 2019. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of the resurgence of PCO? It's an incredible reinvention. And... Um, Really, through his entire career, PCO has proven that age is just a number. Because, I mean, his original WWF run, he was in his early 20s, you know, into his mid-20s. And a lot of people don't appreciate that because he was wrestling the likes of Bret Hart. And he was, you know, in the tag team title match at WrestleMania. Um, But at that time, he was such a natural. And to watch him, again, reinvent himself uh, through the years and the risks he takes and... I don't know how he's walking. I don't know how he's standing. I don't either. Um, I think it's because he's dead, right? He's not. He's not human. He's like, like an android. He's like a machine. He's like a Frankenstein. He's like all of the above. Um, I don't know. Like he defies medical science. He defies gravity. Yeah. He defies everything, man. But I, I love the fact that in 2019. Um, Somebody who I would watch 25 years ago has not only found a place, but, man, he's been the talk of the wrestling world for the past two years. Do you think he could be on top of the mountain here in Ring of Honor? I know a lot of fans have said, you know, he could be the guy. You know, he had that chance there with Taven. He came up a little bit short the last time you guys were in Canada. But, I mean, could you see him as somebody holding a world title again in the future? PCO can do anything he wants. Are you going to tell him he can't? No, I'm not. I'm absolutely not going to tell him that. No, I think uh, the sky is the limit for him because he has already defied what any logical prognosticator could, could put forth for him. And he's proven that he has staying power. He has longevity, more so than just about anybody else. And he can take a hell of a beating and somehow live to tell about it yeah. and you have a low battery oh yeah i do that's fine we can make that go away that's not gonna that's not gonna that's okay, not we're better now that, that's fine don't i mean just just ignore that that even happened okay. i guess what i'm gonna say uh I, I guess one more thing i'll ask you about here you know i've been talking with the wrestlers here uh it's great the relationships that uh, ring of honor has with the cmll down in mexico also new japan obviously uh over in japan a lot of talent gresham's going over there uh for their next tournament you know is there any is there any chance for you to go over to japan is that something you're interested in is, is possibly doing a swap over there I mean, I'd love to. I know that, uh, you know, Kevin Kelly does an incredible job with New Japan. I've had a chance to work with him here and elsewhere, and he's got some great partners over there, uh, Rocky Romero and a number of others. But, yeah, I'm open to anything and everything at this point. I just got back uh, from Mexico for the first time. I'm in Canada right now. I'll be working in the U.S. tomorrow. That's three countries in eight days. For an announcer that speaks only one language, that's pretty wild. How daunting was that going to Mexico for the first time and, and calling matches like that? It was very intimidating. It was it was a huge opportunity. Um, my first time in a non-predominantly English-speaking country. But... Um, you know, my passion carried me through it, man, and I give credit to, to the veterans there and the management there for helping uh, uh, pull me through it. But as far as what's next, I'd love to go to Japan. When I was 
17, 18, breaking into this. It didn't really seem like a realistic goal. But wrestling has been turned upside down and just slammed on its head numerous times. And now the rules are completely different. Everything's been mishmashed. Um, I'd love to go to Japan, see Kevin Kelly, find out once and for all if he is my daddy. Steve Carino used to tell me that. We never got the paternity test, Kevin. I'm waiting. Um, But... I mean, the beautiful thing about Ring of Honor and their relationships is the talent swapping, and not only do we get to see that talent come here, but our talent gets to go all over the world. Jonathan Gresham, for my money, is pound for pound the best Matt wrestler in the world. He's my favorite wrestler to, to commentate for and to call matches for because every little intricate movement he makes um, means so much. Yeah. And there's no – it's cliche for wrestling announcers, but there's no wasted motion, and it's like a chess game. It's like a puzzle. And it's a challenge for me because if Gresham is two or three steps ahead of his opponent, i got to try to be two or three steps ahead of Gresham. Mm. So I can follow the story and, and, and follow the strategy. And uh, I love that. It's, it's, it's like putting together the jigsaw puzzle. So I will follow the Greshams of the world, the Alex Shelleys of the world. As long as the wrestling is this caliber, it makes my job easy. And I'll be glad to present it to any audience that wants it. All right. Uh, I want to wrap up by uh, you're not just a commentator. You're not just a director of wrestling operations. You've also produced some documentaries. Of course, everybody loves Virgil and uh, no one loves Virgil. That's the point of the documentary. Oh, oh okay. Well, I already love the doc- Virgil and the legend of his traveling merchandise. merchandise. Did I get that right? That's out of order, but yeah, the legend of Virgil and his traveling merchandise table available now at joe-nabrowski.com. Okay, well, you were also responsible for the Montreal Theory, right? Yes. Which is a, a look at if the Montreal Screwjob was on the level or, or not. Now, we're here in Canada, mm-hmm. right? They just did that Dark Side of the Ring documentary, re-looking at this, relitigating this for like the 12th time. I want to ask you here, in Canada, now that you've seen every side of it, what side are you on here when it comes to the Montreal Theory? I flip-flop. I mean, I, I think if if Brett knew in advance, it was probably an 11th-hour decision to get out of the finish because everybody got what they wanted. Brett didn't really lose. Sean got his belt, and Vince became a billionaire. I don't think it was a 6- or 12-month plan, although we do discuss that as potential theories and, and, and why they do and don't work. But I could very easily see with their 14-year relationship, Vince saying, listen, man, here's what I got, and I think it can make you some extra money down with Turner. But I love the fact that the Viceland documentary gave Scott Hall the platform to say, listen, I don't think it's on the level. I love the fact Earl Hebner came out after the fact, did an interview, and said he thinks Brett probably knew about it going in. So you never know, and that's what we do. We ask questions. I don't know. I don't pretend I know. But I love to speculate and make you think. All right. Well, uh, Joe, I want to thank you so much for the Can time. Can I plug my next release? I was just going to ask you if there's anything you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the interview. Well, joe-dombrowski.com will be releasing uh, Expo Lucha from uh, 2018. My friend Kevin Kleinrock did those events out in Las Vegas. That's going to be out within the next week or two. And I also interviewed a young man by the name of DJZ. Oh, familiar. 48 hours before he we went to Orlando to go work somewhere else. I sat down with him in his Chicago home, and we told the whole story of his career three and a half hours. That's coming out in a few weeks with a lot of extras, two matches with Gargano, with Adam Cole, the time he almost got friggin' uh, Murdered down in Mexico or whatever? Well, we talk about that, but okay. there was the other time he almost got murdered in his match with Homicide. But it wasn't Homicide's fault. I don't want anybody to misinterpret that. Okay. Um, and a lot of other cool stuff on there. It's going to be five or six hours in total, and we tell the whole story. Uh, did you know that DJ Z designed... The very first Ring of Honor logo. 
I actually did know that because he responded to a magazine ad or something like that, right? Where he, they were, yeah, he won a contest when he was like 16 or 17, and he, he designed the very first logo. So I brought that back full circle to where we are right now. That's why I'm a pro, and that's why he tolerates me. Thank you very much, Justin, for joining me at the top of the show to talk the news of the day. Thank you to Bill After. Thank you to Joe Dombrowski. Man, this was a Philadelphia, or this was a Pennsylvania-friendly episode of the Winkley here today. It very much was. Yeah, interesting. You, 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 and you, and you, and these, you and your Wrigleyville outcasts coming in cramping our PA style today. Look, I don't want to talk, bro. Poor, I don't want to talk poorly about Wrigleyville. You already did. I, I do think there, <laughs> I do think that there's a certain crowd there that can make for a negative experience sometimes. But uh, you know, it is, it is still a Chicago tradition. We're all in this together. But yes. Stop being. If you go to Wrigley, just try to be a nice person. That's all I'm asking. All right, all right. So anyway, it's the end of the show. We'll be back tomorrow. Another episode of the Winkley. Uh, like I said, tomorrow's show is going to feature the full audio from Triple H's post NXT on USA uh, Media Call. We're also going to have an interview our own Andy Malnowski did with M Dog Matt Cross, one of my favorite guys on the Independence. He's so talented. Do you have something to say? What you want to say about Matt Cross? No, I'm a big fan of him. I was just tying it all together as again when as I started and was driving Joe Dombrowski and going to shows. M Dog was on many, of, if not all, of the shows my first year starting out. Uh, so yeah, great guy, son, son of Havoc. Yeah, oh. yeah, from Lucha Underground. If you guys are fans of Lucha Underground, so yeah, big show tomorrow. Triple H, Matt Cross here, uh, and then of course this weekend we have a show we're covering on the site. Uh, soft weekend for AEW, WWE, uh, but our good friends at GCW Game Changer Wrestling, they're actually coming here to Chicago. They'll be in my backyard doing Nick Gage's Invitational for this Saturday night. We will have live coverage of that on the site, so come back and check that out. Um, another deathmatch show. You weren't on the show yesterday, but I was very tired. I got called in Monday night. My buddy Marcus Crane turned 30. He did a, a no-ring deathmatch bar show for, like, 80 people at the top of a punk rock bar called Exit in Chicago. Didn't end until, like, 2 o'clock in the morning on Monday. Or Tuesday, I should say. It's hard. Rough. Were you there as a fan, or were you commentating? I was announcing. I was very intoxicated in the booth, and I was inviting the wrestlers out. Great story from that show. Since we got like an extra minute or so here, we've kind of not stretched all of our time out. So Marcus is this really? I mean, do you know Marcus Crane from GCW? Very tough looking fellow. A lot of tattoos. I don't, think I, I don't think I do. Go find Marcus. He's a very enjoyable guy. Anyway, Marcus, very tough man, deathmatch wrestler, and. Uh, we were sitting around. I was getting everybody's theme songs that they could come out with to come out to at the show, and uh, one of the wrestlers goes, uh, "Play uh, Skater Boy" by Avril Lavigne for Marcus Crane. I go, "I don't think Marcus is gonna like that." And they go, "No, it'd be hilarious. It'd be hilarious." His birthday. He turned he turned uh, thirty at midnight. So Marcus goes in the back. He gets his riot shield. He gets his gas mask. He puts on all his deathmatch gear. He's hyping himself up in the back. And I call his name. And we play Skater Boy. And you see this, like, Mad Max-style post-apocalypse fellow walk out the stage and go, dude, what the F? And, of course, I clean that up a little bit. And I was like, I was told this was your theme song, man. And he's like, ah, oh, come on. <laughs> anyway, fun ribs. Fun deathmatch ribs. Anyway. Rib, ribs make the wrestling world go around. If you like this show... If you like this show, go over to iTunes, Wrestling Inc. Audio on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a nice comment. Justin, what do you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the show today? 
Uh, anybody who can get to Pittsburgh uh, on the on, on October 2nd, when NXT goes head-to-head for, against AEW, and AEW debut is on October 2nd, I'm going to be hosting a viewing party at 1311 Bar on the south side of Pittsburgh. Uh, eight TVs. Uh, so on those eight TVs, we'll have AEW and, and, and NXT. We'll have the sound on for AEW. I'll be a good time. I'll be hosting it. Uh, $2.50 domestic bottles and $7 pitchers of Captain Morgan or Smirnoff. All right, and I'm at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it.